Hello, and welcome to Stationary Jason, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. My name's Justin Twyford. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Stuart Lennon. Hey, Stu, how's life in Cyprus today? It's, oh, it's very good, very hot, but very good. How about things with you, Justin? Touch wood, it's not quite as hot here. It's very, very busy, though, and I think we're going to talk about that in the show a little bit. But we'll get right into our regular section. What is your tool of the week this week, Stu? For me this week, it's day theming, oh. which was something I didn't even know I wanted to do. Um, but I've been juggling around with my schedule, trying to sort of match my output with my values. Dear, I did that sounded wrong. What I mean is I've got a lot going on and I wanted to make sure that I was putting enough time into the projects that were most important to me. And so somebody does this i'm going to say it's probably mike vardy who themes his days and possibly even his weeks i don't know and it it removes mode switching or at least reduces it mm -hmm. so my traditional way of working is that i might do a few hours in the morning writing and then i will switch on to doing something else that might be making calls for one business or looking at the books of another or all sorts of things and throughout the day i'll find myself sort of switching hats um, I like to call them. So what I've tried to do is theme days around skill sets. So not around businesses or projects or, or passion projects, but around skill sets. So today is a Thursday and Thursday is my voice day. So this is when I try and record my podcasts, uh, record my sort of solo podcast where I'm reading my blog posts. I've had a couple of Zoom calls today, which I intentionally try and schedule onto a Thursday. Because then I don't feel guilty about being, I was going to say on the phone, but you know what I mean, in a conversation. And I found it really useful. I found it quite easy to get a lot of stuff done today because I had a, a clear understanding of who I was today. So today I'm a talker. And then on a Monday, for example, I'm, I'm a writer. So it's new for me. I don't know whether this is just, oh, this is new, therefore it's exciting, therefore it's good, or whether this is something that's going to stick. I don't know. I shall report back. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's uh, cool. I'm thinking Friday is your horse day where you can't talk at all. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's ever happened where I can't talk at all. But yeah, no, Friday is, I think, well, it's kind of self-evident for me. Friday is wrap-up day, isn't it? It's those loose ends. It's, in my case, a bit of rock music. Uh, it's getting ready for the weekend and also getting ready for the next week that sort of hour mm -hmm. closing down the week and working out what's going to be important next week. So yeah, we will see how I get on. What about you? What are you tooling with this week? I'm, I'm still thinking of day theming here. You've kind of thrown me for a whole loop. There's a whole, there's a whole topic here. Let's uh, follow up on this one in a few weeks after you've been doing it for a while. I'm really excited sure. to see how this goes. My, well, let's call it interesting thing, which is nowhere near as interesting as yours is a new Samsung two terabyte SSD T7. I ran out of space on my M1 laptop. It started throwing up errors and I couldn't quite figure out why. And what it had been doing is downloading my podcast edit files to that hard drive, which is a one terabyte hard drive, which I thought is pretty significant for the use that it's getting. I do all my podcast editing on a different computer with a bigger hard drive, but it was iCloud decided it wanted to sync everything up. 
And I looked at that and I was realizing that I have a heck of a lot of large files that I use for audio and I don't really need them. I've got the finished edit files. Those are the ones I'll keep in my iCloud. So I wanted to move the rest of those off to my backup SSD. And like anybody, I probably have a collection of different disks, spinny disks, SSDs, and my terabyte of SSD that I use for my backup storage for large files was getting full too. So I, I, I went and bought this Samsung two terabyte T7. My goodness, are these things small now, Stu? Mm. This is about the size of a business card, but probably the thickness of six or seven credit cards together. Yep. It's like a big fat credit card, isn't it? Yeah, it is so amazing. My last one that I bought was maybe three, four years ago, and it's got to be twice the size. And I was just so amazed by how much smaller they were. I wouldn't say the performance is any quicker, USB-C to USB-C, but uh, it is really, really nice to have uh, such a small little device that I can throw in a bag and go from there. The only problem I have, this thing is taking forever to sync to Backblaze. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes a little while, doesn't it? That first sync of a, of a big drive. A uh, big new drive, yeah, that's a little painful. But uh, yeah, I was also amazed at how much, I don't know if you follow the market on hard drives, but boy, have they gone up in price. I think largely due to crypto uh, going to plotting instead of mining. I've heard there's a run on those and until I started shopping for a new drive, I didn't realize just how much of a run that was, but oh, wow, you know what? I'm happy. I have lots of storage. I can continue to podcast and my M1 MacBook is not throwing up out of disk space errors any longer. And that's a good thing. Oh, very good. I have to say my M1 is uh i have the the mac mini but it's throwing up memory not errors but saying you know your your ram is getting full and i'm trying to work out because then when i ask it you know who is using all this ram <laughs> it doesn't really tell me i'm pointing the finger at microsoft teams but that might just be my own prejudice i think <laughs> <laughs> so it's still lightning fast and this little thing comes up saying you should maybe think about closing some apps <laughs> which I, I do, but it's the first that's been happening now for, I suppose, maybe three weeks, <laughs> um, that maybe each day, once in a day it will come. And so I'm trying to be a bit more disciplined about my app use. Do you have a decent amount of hard disk space left? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any, um, anything significant using, uh, spaces. I don't think it's that. That was the same issue I was getting on mine. It was telling me that it was having a problem with the swap file. Uh, I had about a hundred gigs left and it was still barfing and giving me an error on that. And that's when I noticed I shouldn't have over 900 gigabytes of stuff on, on my iCloud drive on this computer. And that's when I started looking into it and started moving files out of there. I think the M1 is quite thirsty with swap files. Okay. Cause I'm looking now, I mean, I've got. I've only got a 500 gig um, hard drive and 300 of that, give or take, is free. Oh, wow. Okay. You're very light on your uh, resources. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot, quite a lot up in iCloud. Um, and I'm also, while I'm here, I'll just look at my hard drives. What have I got? I've got a Lassie two terabyte, mm -hmm. um, which I'm, I'm, what is only a tiny amount of that being used. And then I've got the Samsung T5, which I think is the older brother of of the one you've got, I've got the, yep. the, the terabyte one. 
which I've been using for time machine backups. <laughs> and I'm, I'm at that stage where it's pretty full, I think, and it's just knocking one off and making another. So I might need to do something about that at some point. Yeah. That's why our spinny discs are good for time machine though. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was the noise thing. And, you know, I suppose what I'm really looking for is I'm looking for a nice little box that's going to have, you know, a range of SSDs in it that's going to act as my, was it Drobo or what's the other one that everybody uses? Uh, Synology, mm. um, sort of, you know, major backup center because my airport extreme, I've just put it off to, I, I haven't thrown it away. I can't bring myself to throw it away. <laughs> um, but it was running my sort of portion of the network down here, even though the, the backup wasn't working anymore. The drive, I think it had its, had its day. Mm -hmm. So my, my backup feels very temporary. You know, where you've got those little, as you say, those tiny little drives just sort of hanging off bits of the monitor and the computer. I think it doesn't look permanent enough for me. Well, I have heard that duct tape on the back of the monitor works really well. Yeah, but my monitor's in the middle of the room. So I, I, I can't bring myself to do that. <laughs> a longer cables and hide them in a drawer somewhere, you know? Yeah. My, my Mac mini is in a drawer, actually. I mean, it's, it's very well ventilated before anybody writes in. And there's also a Cal digit hub down there. Uh, so everything's kind of plugged into that, which keeps it quite neat on top. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Apart from obviously microphones, microphones, all these leads on microphones. What am I going to do, Justin? Honestly. Uh, see, you need some hardware to go with the microphones, but that's a whole different story. Oh yeah. Well, that, that's clearly a discussion we will have one day and we shall have to record it as I sit there mystified, taking notes. And spending lots of money. All right, Sue, let's get on to our favorite topic, car pens and ink of the week. What are you using this week? I've had a, a week of discipline. So, uh, just today, just this morning after, uh, in between zoom calls, I cleaned out some, some pens that were sort of sitting there inked, but not cleaned. If you see what I mean, empty, but not cleaned. Oh, the horror. Yes, exactly. Before inking another, I decided, right. Okay. I need to empty a pen or two more because I've got, I've got a nine slot pen holder <laughs> and it was very nearly full. Mm -hmm. So I'm using up the pilot custom eight, two, three, which has got the Bach uh, in it. I'm about halfway through. And now that I've set my mind to it, I imagine I'll, I should be done by next week. I don't know. Those pens that you've been inking have some really, really big ink reservoirs. Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to be disciplined about what I'm using as well. So rather than switching from, you know, pen to pen, which is what I tend to do, I'm, I'm doing what you do. So I'm going to work through this pen mm. and everything that I write in the next few days will be in this pen. And I, I imagine I'll get through it. You know, me big, big inky nib. I was about to say you write with a paintbrush. So uh, I'm sure you can get through that in a hurry. Absolutely. My week was a little challenging as well. I was going to fix it and I decided not to. I thought it was a good lesson for fountain pen enthusiasts and those maybe getting into the hobby that it is not always as simple as one would expect. One would think that if you have a pen that works perfectly well with one ink, it's going to work well with another ink. Mm. And I found a pen and ink combination that did not work at all. The pen works, the ink works because I've used both of them, but this combination together I hadn't used and it created nothing but heartaches for me this week. So I use the Conklin Nozak with Noodler's Liberties Elysium. 
Now, the Conklin Nozak, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. It is a captive converter. I'm not. Have you ever played with one of those wonderful things? I'm trying to work out what a captive converter might be. Well, imagine all the fun of a piston filler mm -hmm. with a converter that just has a knob on the end that you can't actually get into. You can't see it. Oh, all right. So, um, well, I suppose Mont Blanc's a little bit like that. Uh, no, you can take off the end and screw the end of the converter. Which one are you thinking of? I'm, I'm trying to think of a pen that I was filling recently. One of those probably expensive, fancy, fancy Mont Blancs that you have. Anyway, this one, uh, so you can't actually see the converter at all. The converter is attached to a knob, much like a piston fillers at the end of the body, which makes it at best challenging to fill with ink because you can't ever see how deep you are and how much of a fill you've got in a converter. And we all know that's always a fun part of filling a converter anyway. The ink I used is Noodler's Liberties Elysium, and that is a Goulet Pens exclusive color. Nathan Tardif uh, makes that specifically for Brian Goulet. It's usually a fine looking blue. The Conklin Nozak, also a beautiful resin blue. But the two of those did not work together. Even when I got a good fill and I figured this out because I was disgorging the converter of ink and it had plenty in there. It just did not want to write. It would write when it was wet, when I had just filled it. And then after five minutes of sitting capped, it was dead as a doornail. Mm -hmm. I had to then use all your little tricks of shaking and uh, fly, flying paint everywhere <laughs> and a little bit of water and getting the blue on the tongue, you know, the blue on the tongue thing. Oh, yeah. Or is that just me? But yes, I was getting extremely frustrated. So this went straight into my pile of pens to wash, uh, much like Stu's. And I thought I'd throw it out as a cautionary tale. Each one of these things works well on its own, but the combination of those sometimes can bite you in the butt. And it's not even something that you can easily fix. You know, the nib itself on the Conklin Nozak is extremely wet when it does right. It's just that the capillary action of this ink did not work well with that particular nib. So anyway, I've been using, as uh, Stu commented on my Instagram post, I grabbed my Nakaya with a fine Japanese nib, and I've been using that for most of the week instead of this one. But I'm not going to consider that my ink of the week because it wasn't designed to be. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mont Blanc, um, I'm not sure if it's a captive converter as you would describe it, but you can't see um, inside the barrel and you've just got a sort of small twist section at the bottom of the, of the pen. Mm -hmm. So what I tend to find with it is that my first attempt to fill it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> I think I've filled up the pen, write a couple of words with the ink that's just resting on the nib, and then it, it dries and this isn't going terribly well, but it's nearly always user error uh, in my case. Yeah. And it is much more difficult with a converter that you can't see to get that complete fill. Mm. You know, how much, how much of a mess are you going to make of the pen dipping, you know, the entire grip section in the bottle of ink, just to make sure you get the ink in there. Yeah, that is the thing, because I've also got, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it. No, the Rouge et Noir by Mont Blanc, which is a very fine pen. It's a very thin barrel. Hmm. That's a snake one, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And consequently, it doesn't hold very much ink. 
And so filling that, again, by, by guesswork, I find myself filling it. It's the opposite of all the pens we've been talking about the last few weeks. I've got these huge reservoirs. This is tiny. I can write a letter and go, oh, it's finished. Oops. <laughs> um, that's, that's very much a pen to carry around just to, just, you know, for a quick triumphant signature every now and again and then go back and fill it again. <laughs> Almost a dip pen. Yeah, the struggles we have, honestly. Um, but you're absolutely right about um, ink and pens. There are some inks and some pen combos that work beautifully. And then there are other pens that are very pernickety and they insist on have, having a very free-flowing ink. And I, I agree with you. There are just some that just don't seem to like certain inks for no reason that anybody can ever work out. It's all very strange. It certainly is. All right, let's get on to our topic today. Finding balance, coping with overload. This was a topic I wanted to talk about because I really need your advice, Stu. I'm feeling overloaded, and this is largely of my own doing, but it really is something that I need help with. And, you know, I figured my therapy of talking out my problems for an hour with my friend usually comes up with some clarity for me. I was thinking about my, do you remember Kenny Rogers? Most of our younger listeners may not. Oh, I, I have heard talk of him, and I'm looking forward to hearing you impersonate him. You got to know when to hold him. You got to know when to fold him. You got to know when to walk away, and you got to know when to run. I got to really try that in a stronger U.S. accent. But anyway, it is what it is. I have a feeling he sang it. Well, yes, but if we haven't lost half of our podcast listeners uh, from you discussing the theory of Dame the day theming and how deep that is <laughs> my singing would definitely lose the rest of them right you are but the idea that you know when do you hold on to what you've got when do you give something up when do you just walk away from it and say you know that's it or when do you just say that's it i'm done with everything and torpedo the whole idea it kind of had resonance to me this week so my question Stu, is how do you find balance and how do you deal with overload in your life? The first thing to say, I think, is that I don't. It's very much, I, I would say, the 21st century disease is that, okay, I'm talking about people likely to be listening to this podcast, who are likely to be privileged, who are likely to be in the developed world with a, a place to live and a job and all of those, those things. Of those people, I think it's now very, very common to find yourself overloaded. <laughs> um, certainly, I know lots of people who are. I'm talking to one now. I would consider myself one. Um, and uh, in common with every other episode of this, this podcast <laughs> over the last few weeks, I'm going to draw on the Focus Course Academy that I've, uh, I've, I'm still, still working on. Cool. Um, where the, the first step to understanding overload and how to, to get a balance in your life is to decide what's important to you. And I was very glib about this. I thought, well, it's obvious. I mean, of course I know what's important. Mm -hmm. And the, the focus course academy takes you through a process, which I won't go through in, in, in detail, but I found it actually quite emotional trying to work out what's important to me hmm. because you start looking at things. I mean, this could just be me a little bit more deeply. And I think the pandemic has focused the mind a little on this as well now. So you hear 
anecdotally that lots more people are reconsidering where they live, um, how they live because of, of the pandemic. I've heard something of this. <laughs> the man moving to the vast interior of Canada might have a comment. When you start thinking, okay, you know, the most important thing to me is my family or my, um, you know, passion for open water swimming, you know, whatever it might be. As you start building that list, you can't help but start thinking, and how does that match the reality of my life? And again, amongst those terribly privileged people that we are, a lot of us find that work comes in the middle of the list somewhere, but comes at the very top of where we spend our time. And that's, that's out of kilter. That's not balanced. Hmm, interesting. So I think the first step is looking at all of the things that we're doing and say, okay, how do these track back or, or mark back to my values? Hmm. And because ultimately the, this is a simple question and it's so simple that we find it complicated. But if you are overloaded, then you're doing too much. <laughs> that's, that's it. This is true. And part of it though, is trying to work out what you can let go, right? What you can walk away from. Sure. Part of my, my next thought on this is how do you deal with an overload? I think the, the answer is going to be different if it's a temporary overload or a permanent overload. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I mean, every permanent overload probably grows from a temporary one. Mm -hmm. What I started doing or have started doing is I'm looking at when I time track, which I, you know, I switch on and off. I'm, you know, I forget <laughs> for weeks at a time to time track, <laughs> but, but when I am time tracking, I find that I'm, I'm often recording what I should be doing rather than what I am doing. Mm, yes. You know, if you take sort of jobby job examples, I might have said, okay, I spent yesterday focused on this jobby job, this work, you know, the job. And I was nine hours because I started at eight and I finished at five. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and then actually, if you got a little bit more detailed, I would look into that and say, well, hang on, what did I actually do? And out of that eight or nine hours, and this is, you know, going back to a, a particular Stuart bugbear, I probably find 40 minutes of productive work <laughs> and, you know, two hours of Microsoft teams calls and half an hour, Microsoft teams chat and half an hour trying to navigate through some ridiculous IT system and, you know, all sorts of bits and pieces and busy work and. But the things that actually yield the results for which I am paid was a tiny amount. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was look to that and say, okay, how close can I get that eight or nine hours down to that 45 minutes? How many things could I eliminate? And again, I'm in a very privileged position because I'm old and because nobody really knows quite what my role is within that particular company. I've stopped going to huddles and endless meetings about meetings about meetings. Uh, and that, that's a privileged thing to be able to do. And it's an experiment. I mean, maybe they're, you know, planning to fire me as we speak, but the reality is that I can with a, you know, my hand on my heart saying that that was achieving nothing. It was achieving nothing for me and it was achieving nothing for the other people. Uh, so me not being there 
the net gain is that I've then got two hours extra in my day to do whatever that might be. Important things. Yes. So I, th- I think it's that ability to look at overload and say, okay, what's actually overloading me? Is it the task or is it the stress about the task or is it the stress about the overload? Is it the, I've got to be present? You know, I heard a story today from someone about he has friends whose employers insist that they leave their webcams on all day so that they can be observed working from home. I'm like, wow. Boy, that's a place where you feel valued and part of the team, isn't it? Exactly. There's, there's a little bit of trust for you. I agree with you. I mean, how do you, how do you think that temporary is permanent? Are you, are you trying to work out whether your overload is temporary or permanent or have you arrived at a conclusion or? I'm busy. As we talked about last episode, reopening has added further complications to that, uh, you know, going out social engagements which this week I've done a much better job of controlling my schedule. Last week was a little crazy, but the big project that I have at the moment is this thing called moving, which has added a huge project to my life. And that takes time. I've been in my current house for 22 years, just to give you an idea of how much junk I've accumulated. So a lot of what I'm doing is decluttering. I'm getting rid of a lot of things. I'm selling some stuff, Mm -hmm. just moving a lot of things, but almost everything has to be touched once. And that takes time. And that is a big project with a finite end date to it. So it is temporary. I do not intend on doing this for another 22 years. But you never know. I have taken your advice that we talked about on a different show and thrown some money at the problem to uh, schedule packers to come in with part of the moving company. That is costing me some well worth uh, money, but I still have to decide what I'm taking. And that is really a large burden at this point. And it's a constant burden. You know, I'm uh, giving a lot of stuff away, selling a lot of stuff. So I'm constantly dealing with messages from strangers. Hey, can I come pick this up? Can I do this? Can, can you ship this to me? And that is a cognitive load. It is almost a part-time job that I've taken on going through my stuff and looking at how to get rid of it. My wife and I have kind of looked at it and said, okay, in our new place, we're going to kind of start from scratch in a lot of ways. We're going to get uh, new furniture and build up a sort of more minimalist version of ourselves, which if you know me, uh, minimalist, well, I, I'm a stationary buff, but I'm also a music buff and model car buff. And, you know, I have all of these collections too. Uh, you know what it's like from having collections of stuff, you know, how many, how many notebooks do you have? <laughs> oh, I, I don't think you can count that high. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. It, there's two ways of looking at this. One is that you say, right, okay, pack everything up, Mr. Mover person. It gets moved, and then I'll deal with it, which is just deferring the problem. Yeah. Or there's what you're doing, which is, is taking, you know, I think quite a strong view of it, say, right, I'm going to touch everything once. 
And then I guess the middle way is to say, all right, these are the things that I'm going to consider at this point, and these are the things that I'm just going to defer. So, you know, that room, the music room for, for the sake of argument, that room, I'm, I'm going to consider that later. So everything there just gets moved. Mm -hmm. The model cars, I'm, I'm definitely going to rationalize because I'm, you know, I've taken the joy out of this and that, and I don't need this and I don't need it, which as you say, is a cognitive load. And then also this is one that I always manage to swerve is <laughs> the selling of things because I just don't do it. Mm. The, the, the current Mrs. Lennon gets delegated all of that stuff. <laughs> And, and, you know, she quite enjoys it, but it's, it's not my thing at all. So, yeah, I mean, I know with, I mean, when we moved here, I kind of deferred some problems. So we have in our house in the UK, which we, we still own, we have a double garage. And so when I, when I let the place out, first of all, I had a handyman come in and, and, and segregate that double garage. So split it in two. Mm -hmm. And one side of it is full of stuff that I just couldn't be bothered to think about, <laughs> which will be a problem, you know, sometime this year, next year, or who knows, next decade. And curiously, I find myself uh, every now and again here in Cyprus, go, oh, this piece, this, this thing would be great. Oh, where is it? Oh, it's in my garage. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. What I'm actually thinking of specifically is I've got a really nice office chair, which is, do you understand what I mean when I say a Chesterfield furniture? I do. Very nice. Okay. So it's a Chesterfield Admiral's office chair. So it sort of sits on, on office wheels, but it's a very old leather sort of look, uh, a burgundy leather, in fact, and it would be ideal. I would love to have it, but it, it is in a garage in the UK and moving that piece of equipment, particularly post Brexit would cost me almost as much as it cost me to move a container worth of stuff a couple of years ago, just because that's the nature of that business. And stationery, yeah, as you say, I've got, you know, boxes full of notebooks and pencils and pens. And, you know, I suppose I use five in the same sort of time frame that Claire sends me 10. So yeah, it's, it's not getting any better. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that type of thing, I mean, I suppose what you're aiming for is a sort of more of a nirvana where the things that you've retained are the things that you really want to retain and that you will take joy in and use. Yeah. Marie Kondo is going to be somewhat pleased with me once I'm done. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're investing this time now to, to reap the rewards over the years to come in, in terms of overload and, you know, the, the minimal lifestyle or something more towards that anyway oh well, as much as someone like me ever will get to but yes uh, definitely it's uh, more minimalist than i am now mm. but yeah that's i think part of where the overload comes from on an already busy schedule yeah you know that that's part of it is you know there are certain things that you have to do and i you know i get i get what you're saying about uh, prioritizing your values but some of the things that i do you know, let's, let's take work for a prime example. I have to put in the effort in work to enjoy the lifestyle that I do. And that is a, a choice that I've, I enjoy what I do. That's a bonus, but certainly for a lot of people, it is not as simple as just ranking that because there are other choices. Sure. I could move to, you know, a, uh, a less expensive province and spend all that time, um, 
digging out uh, of my driveway in the winter, you know, because of the 12 feet of snow. Hmm. Uh, But that's not something that I'm willing to sacrifice for. You know, the reality is that there are lots of competing values, priorities. I I, I know Stu's going to hate me for saying the word priorities. I read his blog post this morning. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, I mean, I think the important part of the, again, the, the, the process here, is that your values um, align with your roles. So both you and I would write down as one of our roles, breadwinner. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what the, the work is, it provides the cash to provide the lifestyle to which both we and our significant others would like to become accustomed. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of, of how I actually... I want to be a free water swimmer. Whilst that's wonderful and, and is a dream to aspire to, giving up work would result in there being less money and decisions having to be made about the rest of your life. So the, the values equation is not incredibly linear. You know, there's a degree of, okay, I'm a breadwinner and really to know if I'm a successful breadwinner or not is, is really about how much bread I win mm-hmm. uh, and whether that, that, that bread can provide the lifestyle that I want, you know, and I think most of us in, in this world turn around and say, okay, so eight hours a day, five days a week, that's, the, that's my primary role. That's what I do. And that is where I get self-esteem from. It's, it's all part of the equation of a successful life in inverted commas. Then you start looking at the other things you do. And as you say, you're a, you're a, a stationary buff, you're a model car buff, you're a music buff, all of which these things take time mm-hmm. and to a certain extent require, um, investment. And so it's then working out, okay, can I do all of those things without impinging upon that? And then comes in that, those whole sort of personal things about, you know, your, your spiritual life, your family life, how important are those things and where do they fit? Because you and I, and I think most people listening to this podcast will get to the point and going, okay, I've got enough to keep me going here for 26 hours a day. Yeah. We don't need sleep, do we? Exactly. From that 24, I've got to get some sleep. So something has to change. And whether that's a case of a passion project taking a backseat for a while Mm -hmm. or looking very critically at work. One one of the things that I look at, because I have, um, I'm going to use that word again, multi-potentialite. Good word. I have my consultancy business and I also have this client, a company owned by a friend for whom I'm working. I get paid per month by that client, friend, person for whom I'm working mm-hmm. about, I'm, I'm just trying to work it out. It's about half a day of my consultancy rate. Mm. So the work that I do in my consultancy, to be honest, I don't find it terribly interesting. <laughs> um, much of it is very repetitive. So, you know, I'll have client A needs policies and procedures and client B will need policies and procedures. Guess what? I've got a lot of policies and procedures. So I will tweak and, and amend and adjust, but at the end, it's not exactly the most exciting work, but it's far more lucrative 
than something that I'm putting hours and hours in. Mm-hmm. Now that's fine if I've got the hours and hours available, but if, you know, like you, I was planning a, you know, a significant move several hours away, a whole new lifestyle, I would be looking at that and saying, okay, I need to, to, to dial back on that thing because I need some of those hours and I'm not spending them very lucratively at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that, that's an easy decision to make because it's all within the scope of work and breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think that even translates to hobbies as we were talking about before our show today, we're just having a bit of a catch up. Uh, one of the things that I have done, I have a music studio at home and on the weekend I ripped all that apart. So I'm down to basically just my main computer desk at this point. I have cables everywhere that I ran out of time to pick up and uh, properly label and put away. Uh, but all my keyboards have been packed ready for the move. And that is in itself a big thing. Mm. What that has done is not just got that task out of the way. It has also made a choice for me that says I will not have time to realize my creative side. I won't be able to make any music. I won't be able to play. That is a sacrifice that I've made. Similarly, uh, with the models, which is another hobby and another podcast that I do, I have packed all that away and that has been packed away for a little bit longer. That is a much bigger process because I have a lot more of those. They tend to be a lot less expensive than keyboards and, uh, they tend to accumulate a lot more. I had them tucked away in storage places throughout the house. And those are one of the things that I'm actually selling, mm-hmm. which is an interesting divestiture of a hobby that I've been doing for many, many, many years. Mm. And it is, it's very interesting learning a lot about myself uh, in my ability to, to give stuff away and to let things go rather than just hold on and collect and collect and collect. But certainly those choices that I've made, I have prioritized, you know, family, obviously work, podcasting is something that I, I truly am passionate about and have kept that in my workload. But even with all those adjustments, you still run into that feeling of overload. Yep. It's temporary. I believe it's temporary. Once we move, I probably have another month on the other side where we're unpacking, but I do suspect the urgency, the imposed deadline is going to change how I feel about that, <laughs> which I think it will be a positive thing. At least I hope so. I, I think Justin, um, I, I'm laughing because I think we share an ability to, to be incredibly optimistic. <laughs> so, you're going to move to, to this new place and in a month, it's all going to be fine. No, it's not. <laughs> and you know, it isn't. And I know it isn't. And you know, there will still be boxes this time next year <laughs> in your studio. This time, 22 years from now when I'm ready to move again. Oh, I never unpacked this one. Yeah. And I think it does, it does speak to the fact that humans are terrible at estimations of time. Because as you say, un- unpacking a box probably takes 30 minutes, but the cognitive load of the, the fear of unpacking the box can, can take another hour easily. And the idea of, oh, I've got 10 boxes to unpack. Well, I can't do that this weekend. It'll have to be next week. And you know, all the creative procrastination that we're also expert at, all of those things mean that actually things that, that you and I estimate in our little time plan is 30 minutes are probably more like 10 hours. And this is why we're, I suppose, to a certain extent, almost, almost permanently 
are on the edge of overload. Certainly, I find myself. What, what happens to me? I mean, I'm a passionate golfer, so I love to play golf. But the thing about golf is it's very, very time consuming. More and more, actually, because the professional golfers on TV just get slower and slower and slower, and everybody else goes, "Oh, well, that's how you do it." And then there's people like me standing with their hands on their hips, <laughs> waiting for the the course to clear. Four. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Just stand still. If you stand still in the middle of the fairway, you're probably safe. <laughs> but there are times when I've, you know, I've sort of been looking at my week. And I'm, okay, there's nothing for it. I'm going to have to cancel that round of golf. And I cancel the golf, and suddenly I just feel such relief mm-hmm. because, you know, actually. A round of golf for me in this climate is pretty much a day mm. because I'll play in the morning. Uh, it's hot. Um, I will take on a lot of fluids and then come home, have something to eat. And then to be honest, I need a bit of a nap, not because I'm old necessarily, but because, uh, you know, you're just exhausted. The, the humidity that we have at the moment just sort of saps it all out of you. Huh. I got to come up with a better excuse for why I like naps. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, the, the Cypriot way is to take a lap because it, it is so hot here that, you know, I, I rise very early, but you know, perhaps the most pleasant time in the evening is about 11 o'clock midnight. You know, that's when it's sort of cooling down to be nice. So if you want to get up early and stay up late, the trick is to go to sleep during the day. Mm. Employers can be somewhat, somewhat concerned about that practice, I have to say. I thought that's where you just learn to uh, sit up straight and uh, look like you're paying attention. Yes. Move your monitor so that it covers your eyes. And my constant webcam surveillance, yes. Oh, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, it's just eliminate, delegate, be honest, and try to do things to minimize the load. And I think you're right, the cognitive shift, uh, the cognitive burden from all of these things that you take on. I was just thinking about unpacking and going, well, you know, it may take me 10 hours to unpack a box and then it'll take me another five hours to put it in the right place that my wife wants it. Mm -hmm. For sure. And if you're like me and you don't ask, then I might have to move that box six times. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you're, you're absolutely right that the eliminating, you've started doing this. And to your own great surprise, you're, you, you're eliminating certain elements of your hobby, not necessarily permanently, but it feels as though you're moving more towards the things that actually are more important to you now. Yeah, I would say you're completely right. I am, I have a goal and now it's just execution and it's easy to focus on that. Doesn't say it gets any easier and it gets less overloading, but Hey, that's half the fun of what we do, right? Oh, for sure. And this is the quote that I, that I found is uh, from Cecilia Ahern, who is an Irish novelist. Um, you look at her up, um, read any of her stuff. It's good. It's great. Um, and, and she said, I'm never overwhelmed or under it either. Just nicely whelmed. I'm okay. Nothing spectacular, but sometimes special. That's, that's where we all aim to be. be mm-hmm. You want to be nicely whelmed. Yes. Not underwhelmed, not overwhelmed, just well. I think it's brilliant use of language. It really is. You need just, you need some tension because if you don't have any tension, you get nothing done. 
if you have too much tension, you still get nothing done. Oh, just nicely wound, I think, sums it up nicely. Cool. Well, thanks for your help, Stu. What's your takeaway from our conversation today? In the, in the growing tradition of me saying something deep and meaningful, know what's important to you. Re really know what's important. Take some time to reflect on your future funeral. Ooh. What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? That will tell you what's important to you. Boy, that was not light at all, Stu. Thanks. There you go. And what about you? What, what are you, your key takeaway? The thought that I had is how do you cook a frog? You can't put a frog in hot water. It'll just jump out. You've got to start with cold water and warm it up gradually. And I was thinking about overload and overload is like that. We start in the cold water. We have nothing on our plate. We have lots of time. And we gradually add one task, one commitment, one more thing that we have to do until we're in that boiling water and we don't notice. So my takeaway is to stop periodically to look around and take the temperature. It may be hotter than you think. Are you overloaded? And I think I did that and realized that, yeah, I am. And, you know, things have to move and hopefully this is a temporary thing for me, but uh, certainly there. So that's my takeaway. Uh, take the temperature of where you are. That's a good one too. Um, the thing I've always wondered about that is how did he work out how you cook a frog? And why would you cook a frog? But that's a whole different story in itself. Uh, well, uh, you know, we're getting French now. Uh, yes. Uh, I wonder if the French have vegetarians too. <laughs> tofu frogs mm. who knows anything is possible in the 21st century where can people find you on the internet Stu? well you can find me at stuartlennon.com or at stuartlennon on twitter if you're that way inclined or at nerosnotes.co.uk what about you justin where can people find you you can find me justintwyfer.com writeexperience.com is where i write about stationery and my pen and ink of the week and of course you get links to Stu and myself at stationeryadjacent.com which is probably in the show notes of wherever you're listening to this please like and review us on your podcast catcher of choice we really appreciate your recommendations to your friend and colleagues because that's how we can help the podcast grow and hopefully we can make a difference in somebody's life that's really what we're doing it for. Our next topic is going to be on system switching, advanced procrastination or progress. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? We could tell who wrote that one. It wasn't me. <laughs> Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.